This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time now to turn our attention to the United States, uh, where U.S. forces are in the final phase of leaving Kabul, ending two decades of involvement in Afghanistan. Now, according to a security official, just over 1,000 civilians at the airport remain to be flown out before troops withdraw. At the same time, you've got a Taliban official saying that Islamist insurgent group are prepared to take control of the airport. The U.S. and allies have taken up about 113,500 people out of Afghanistan. Uh, this in just uh, about two weeks or so. Uh, but tens of thousands who want to go will be left behind. According to a Reuters report, there were fewer than 4,000 troops left at the airport. Draw, that, that's down from 5,800 at the peak of the evacuation mission. Uh, so there are a couple of loose ends to tie up, especially in the wake of uh, those twin explosions at the Kabul airport, and we talked about this on Friday morning, right? All this coming at a time where thousands of people are being evacuated. Let's try and get the latest from Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Nirmal, good morning. Thanks for helping us out with this one. Let's start off with this. What plans the Biden administration have for the tens of thousands of people who want to leave but unfortunately will be left behind? Good morning. Right. So they will continue to accept visa applications and guarantee safe passage for Afghans who worked with U.S. forces or the U.S.-backed government or otherwise qualify. The U.S. says the Taliban have agreed to cooperate in this, and they say the U.S. has leverage, economic leverage for one thing, to ensure the Taliban do cooperate. Now, people are skeptical, and rightfully so, both of Taliban cooperation and of the U.S.'s leverage. So we will have to wait and see. But the airlift part will most likely cease unless they put on the occasional special flight. The Taliban have proposed a deal, by the way, for the management of the airport. Turkish security forces are part of that deal. Though the last I heard, it would still have to be okayed by Turkey's President Erdogan. And just a few hours ago, he did not seem to be very happy, saying what will it look like if Turkey is responsible for security and we have another bloodbath at the airport. So at some stage fairly soon after August 31, and after the U.S. has airlifted not only civilians but the several thousand troops it sent back in to run this airlift, at some point commercial flights will presumably resume. Now it's important to understand that there are around 300 Americans still left. We may not know the exact number, so there will always be a question mark as to whether there is an American somewhere in the country. As for the tens of thousands of Afghans who want to leave, well, at some point, the U.S. will need to draw a line. It is not unusual that tens of thousands will want to leave now or in the future. We already have tens of thousands of refugees on the borders. This is because the future is both bleak and uncertain. Afghanistan is going to be in a state of civil war for a while now. There is widespread fear of the Taliban. Of course, people would want to get out. But in practical terms, most of those who flee are going to unfortunately end up doing so as refugees. Okay, Normal. We also had former President Donald Trump warning of the alleged dangers posed by those desperately trying to flee Afghanistan. He asked, you know, how many terrorists will Joe Biden bring to America? And just open, openly asked that question. Where this is concerned, right? How legitimate is it? I mean, would the chaos of the evacuation have jeopardized the vetting process, perhaps? Right. So there is always a concern. You can't say there is zero concern. There is always some degree of concern, however small. 
And yes, it's hard to believe the vetting process has been entirely sound, given the numbers, as you said, and the timeline. Mind you, the evacuees will still be in holding centers in the US and elsewhere for more thorough vetting before they are inducted into societies. But even then, it is hard to vet someone when the US is blind on the ground in Afghanistan. So the question of cross-checking on the ground doesn't even arise. Now, the Taliban have requested the U.S. to reopen its embassy in Kabul, but today Secretary of State Tony Blinken said that is unlikely to happen. Having some people on the ground, diplomats and so forth, may help in terms of vetting, but they don't have that. But also bear in mind that what Donald Trump and the right wing is doing nightly on channels like Fox and so forth is amplifying the issue for political gain, whipping up xenophobia, which we will see intensify as the campaign for the midterms, which will be in November next year, as that campaign starts picking up steam a few months from now. So it is more political theatre, it is fear-mongering, which goes down well with the Trump base. It is fear of Muslims, fear of immigrants, fear of leftists, fear of demographic change, all of the above rolled into one, and that is a potent political weapon. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Normal, we also have tributes and stories pouring in over the 13 U.S. Marines that were killed during those twin blasts uh, at the airport last week. ISIS in uh, Khorasan, as known as ISIS-K, has claimed that an ISIS militant carried out the suicide attack. What do we know about this group? I mean, what has the Taliban said about them? The Islamic State Khorasan province was started by disaffected Taliban fighters who pledged allegiance to the late Islamic State leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Khorasan refers to an older historical region, a caliphate that once included parts of Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan and Turkmenistan. They are competitors to the Taliban. They follow an even stricter brand of Sunni beliefs. On at least one occasion that has been reported, U.S. troops coordinated with the Taliban in attacking the ISKP. And the U.S. has attacked the ISKP as well. Now, their numbers are said to be smallish. Estimates vary from a few hundred to a thousand, but enough to do real damage, as we have seen, and also the potential to recruit more. And one has to remember as well that Al-Qaeda is also very much still present in Afghanistan, and there is overlap between Al-Qaeda and ISKP. Both are alive and well. So we are looking at a very volatile and synergistic cocktail of ambitious radical groups. And we can expect on the one hand in Afghanistan a permanent but perhaps sporadic but potentially also deepening civil war, which will take a huge toll on civilian non-combatants, which is something we have already seen. And it will have a transboundary impact. India is a prime target for the ISK and Al-Qaeda. And India has a lot to worry about now and going forward. We're on the line this morning with Straits Times CSBR Chief Nirmal Ghosh. Nirmal, the Taliban have said that they've arrested some suspects involved in that airport blast. Um, and after that, U.S. President Joe Biden has said that while he doesn't trust the Taliban, it was in the best interest of both the U.S. and the Taliban to try and prevent an attack from ISIS and that it had not been a mistake to rely on them for the security at the airport. And this was something that was, was questioned during that press conference that he had after the attack. So what went wrong? I mean, that allowed this ISIS-K to conduct the attack. Uh, We were potentially looking at, um, say, a Taliban versus ISIS-K type of conflict. 
Well, it is very difficult to spot and stop a suicide bomber, and especially in a crowd of thousands in a dense and chaotic situation. Remember, Taliban were also killed in the explosion. Of course, the Taliban are already at war with ISK, and it is quite possible that the US and the Taliban will cooperate in order to stop the ISK from gaining any ground. Earlier on Sunday, the US conducted another strike, blowing up a vehicle it says was heading to the airport packed with explosives. Of course, the US has eyes in the sky over Kabul right now, but it is very possible that the ground intel would have been provided by the Taliban. That's what President Biden was referring to, that it is in the interest of both the US and the Taliban to prevent these kinds of attacks. From the Taliban point of view, they want to see the US out and would refrain from provoking it. They don't want the US to think, oh, we have to go back in. Yeah, Nirmal, final question for you. And we have uh, reports of that air drone strike um, that's been conducted, uh, a late night U.S. drone strike in the Nangaha province. Now, this has been condemned by the Taliban and Nangaha province is an eastern area that borders Pakistan. Now, according to the Pentagon, two high profile ISIS targets were killed and one was wounded. How has the U.S. responded to the Taliban's condemnation of this attack and is there any potential for retaliation here no for the same reason uh, the the taliban condemned the drone attack not because they care about who it killed apparently two isk elements which they wouldn't at all mind but because it violates the sovereignty of afghanistan the taliban are the de facto government and they are trying to act like one as such they would not welcome drone strikes from foreign powers on afghan soil All right, thank you for that. We've been speaking with Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. We'll catch up with you again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.